You received a call from an inmate at the Department of Corrections. This call will be recorded and monitored. Well, hello, Miss Lakeisha Gray. How are you? Oh, well, I'm fine, thank you. How How's your daughter doing? Fantastic. You know, every once in a while, you'll spit out some very good news, and this is one of those days. So, I can't say I'm not happy to hear that. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know there's, there's been a lot of loss in staff and COVID outbreaks. You know, I'm beginning to have my suspicion because there is a possibility that they're just hiding the fact that they don't have enough qualified people to watch you folks. And so they lock you up and then blame it on the pandemic. <laughs> well, you know, conspiracy theory or not, but I I would say that I, I, I really find it hard to trust anything the Department of Corrections says that you just have to take it with a grain of salt. Well, yeah, yep, I've been around the block enough times to know that. Okay, medical. Wow. Yeah, well, I guess when you tell people that there's been a couple of people that tested positive for the coronavirus, it would, you know, get people to a little sense of insecurity and vaccinated or not, they may feel that they're uh, been exposed to the the virus and, you know, may have some, even though it's real or imaginary, uh, COVID symptoms. It just, it just goes with the territory. And so I, I can imagine they're going over to the to seek medical attention quite a bit. Has your medical staff been reduced any? Couple people? Well, at least they're they're trying. Okay, I, you know, I I will give them some credit for that. They're they're trying to keep you guys healthy. But I think a lot of it too is because the uh there's staff in there that are subject to this uh disease as well. Well, you know, you're in a secure facility. How on earth is this virus getting in there? Yeah, well, staff, of course. Transfers from the other prisons. Yeah, well, and you see, that's that's what gets me. If I was running that prison and I needed somebody to come in from a, another prison, I would quarantine that person. Test them right off the bat. Test negative, you know, go in quarantine for a little while, test again, and then go back out into the population. Okay, I think that's a little backwards. No, I just, I, for one thing, I'm really against using SEG for anything. And to put you guys that were exposed, allegedly exposed to the virus, that's, you know, I'm kind of seeing a little, yes, right, that's, that's what I'm seeing. And so, those people who have been exposed 
to the virus get put in SEG. And those people who actually have tested positive for the virus... You have 60 seconds remaining. They're going to other units. Wow. I don't know. (laughs) Your heat... You have no heat there. And no hot water? No, I just... No, I am shocked to hear that. And your mattress... Okay, you know what? Yes, yes, you are in prison. It's just that... You have 30 seconds remaining. They shouldn't be treating you like rabid dogs. I think that's another excuse they have, too. They should be getting... You know, maybe not necessarily comfortable mattresses, but you should have plenty of blankets, plenty of water, uh, healthy food, and uh, definitely at least the minimum staff. And it looks like you guys are lacking in everything. What? Okay, there we go. We have a conversation with a young lady who is locked up in a prison and she feels that there was some cruel and unusual punishment going on over there. The people who test positive for the COVID virus, they are put in a separate unit. They're all together. And locked away from the general population. They, they let them out to make phone calls and to have their meals, shower, things like that. They do, they, they kind of uh, stagger that. So uh, she's complaining that uh, if you came in contact with the person who tested positive, then you were put into administrative segregation. And if you test positive, you put in this other unit. And if you weren't in contact or you did not test positive or you tested negative, then you stay within your regular unit, isolated from everybody else. Now, the staff is minimized. And we're not exactly sure how they're going to compensate for that. I suspect that... You know, keeping people all in one unit, let's say you have 30 people and you need to keep an eye on them and they're just wandering all over the place, it's easier for a handful of people to keep them in one spot and keep an eye on them and use video uh, cameras and stuff rather than let them run to the full uh, course of their assigned area, you know, with uh, at least one or two correctional officers and and, and keeping an eye on them. And when I was allowed to visit prisons, there were a lot of uh, correctional officers out there. There were maybe three or four in the visitation area. And so, you know, there was a a handful of them too. Once uh, we got there, there was like three of them that checked us in. And then uh, two that led us into the visitation area, and then maybe three or four 
that wandered around the visitation uh, room, you know, keeping keeping us uh, legal. You know, don't put your your feet on the table or don't uh, harass other people or something. You know, they were keeping an eye on us. And so uh, now with this this pandemic and then the people refusing to get vaccinated and leaving or just taking an early retirement, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of the good staff members are leaving. And so you have minimum staff. Some people aren't even that experienced in there. And you have the panic of the pandemic running around. So, of course, the people in the prison are all subject to getting the disease and so a few of them are a little nervous because if you pass by somebody say hi or or shake a hand or something and then somebody comes back later and says oh that person tested positive you know a world of things could go on so I can't really blame them for being a little bit nervous when it comes to uh, the pandemic I know with visitation minimized they can't really blame the visitors for bringing this. You know, it's just like contraband. They, they're they still finding contraband in the prisons with minimum visitation. So it's not the visitors that's bringing this stuff in. And, of course, our blame would immediately go to the correctional officers and the prison staff. And why not? You have to do the process of elimination. It's not the visitors. It's not the inmates. But with uh, Lakeisha, she was saying that there was a transfer from another prison. And this person tested positive. And so I I, I just find it hard to comprehend the fact that these people are catching this virus in a secure facility. You know, there's been movies made and books written and stuff, you know, a lot of fiction where people who have a disease or who are society outcast or something are put on an island. You know, that's how Australia came about. You just take all the, the unmentionables, the people that were accepted in society and you moved them to this island, and then you just stayed away from the island. So. And that's what... I, I see that as like the prison. You know, you, you, you throw all these people in there, and they're isolated from the rest of the world. How can they get a disease like that? And it just... There's just so many questions that pop up. And so many conditions and uh, cracks in the system you know that that come to the surface now and that's why we have to keep an eye on on the uh, the whole penal system that's why we have these uh, nonprofit groups and uh, we have the ombudsman you know councils committees and there's a lot of um, 
Department of Correction officials that don't want to be have an oversight committee or anything watching them. And, you know, there's a lot of privacy concerns that can go on because these people go into prison and their their health is exposed and their their crimes and family matters a lot of stuff pops out and they under the constitution are technically prisoners I mean uh, slaves and so the prison system doesn't want to expose how they're being treated So it's nice that I'm able to talk to folks on the phone and have these guys just tell me what's going on in there. Just like Lakeisha, I could record her, put her on my YouTube channel, and then she will talk about all the conditions that's going on in there. And then you as the public can hear what's really going on. And yeah, you could be one of the victims, you know, and the person that's in the prison, maybe the one that you hear on an interview... You could think immediately, I don't want this person to get out. I don't care how this person's being treated. And you have to go back to what we talked about before. Victims, as well as community leaders and neighbors and friends, family, we're all paying for them to be in the prison. So if you're paying an average of like $350 a day for one inmate and this inmate gets sick, then you're paying even more money. If this inmate dies, there's a possibility that there's a lawsuit. And then if you are paying for staff members that are forced to leave their position, then you have a, 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 a chance of equipment failure and so with Lakeisha she's she lost their heat for her water and their uh, mattresses are bad and they they uh, their heaters aren't working and it's cold in there and so that's extra work for the minimum staff and you have to try to find contractors that's willing to go in there and repair this stuff and that could cost a bit too I just don't see how we can get our money's worth out of this. It's a very bad investment. And especially for the victim. I feel a lot of sympathy for the victim anyway. And I think since we can't go back in the past and change anything, catching the person is one of the best things we can do for the victim. Locking the person up is another good thing. Also, let's face it, you know, the bottom line is we don't want these people to repeat the crime or at least get out and commit different crimes. We want this person to get out, stay away from prison, use any skills that they learned in there to get a job, to be able, and then we want them to be able to get a job. And we want them to pay taxes so they can pay for those other folks that's still locked up. And then when these crazy things happen, we'll have people that's leaving the prison and rather than going into homeless camps and and, uh, maybe um, treatment centers and and, uh, imposing on their families, 
you know, rather than all that happening, they could get out, get a job, get their own car, get their own home, support their own family. You know, isn't this something that we want? And especially the victims. Why would a victim have to pay for their offender for the entire time that this person is in prison. Why? If anything, that offender should be compensating them or or giving them money to help get through their, their trauma, you know? And prison alternatives, I think, are the best way to handle this. And in some cases, it's a little more expensive. But when you look at it like this, if the the prisoner is compensating or um, giving money to the victims or maybe some kind of uh, victim aid charity, I, I think we're moving in the right direction rather than just taking money from the victim. That's like a pouring salt on a wound. But, you know, it's going it's to take a while. And we need to convince people that helping them get out of this world of crime is, is in our best interest. Now, again, I have a YouTube channel. It's called the, uh, the Droll Wilborn Channel. It's sim- very simple. I suggest that you take a look at it. Subscribe so you can get uh, updates, follow-ups. Maybe there's an interview you like and there's a possibility that the person could go and do a second interview and you can learn even more. It gives you an idea of what's going on in the prison. It gives you an idea of how these people feel. A lot of folks aren't the evil um, beast that you make them out to be. You listen to them talking in the interview and they'll show remorse. I'm sorry for what happened. I I wish it had never done that. And if I had it to do over again, I would avoid it. I wish I had gotten some uh, community support, something to help me to stay away from this life of crime. And it's, it's, it's very, it's very enlightening, I think. And, And I enjoy talking to these folks and learning from them. So if you get a chance, you know, and and, uh, I just ask that you tune in and listen to them. Also, sit with your family, sit with people you know who are victims and and open a discussion. Let's find out how we can work together to reduce the chance of repeat crimes, to reduce prisons and put people out to make money and pay taxes and to because um, we've, we've got so many things going on in, in the world and in our, our states and in our communities that the money that we're spending for an extended stay in prison could be better used to help in other areas at least I think so so you know talk, talk about it And uh, you never know. You could be the one that makes the change. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Joel Wilborn, and this is AQS 
inmate call. Go out, have yourself a wonderful day, and make beautiful memories for tomorrow.